following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Let's go and open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23. That's where we're going to be tonight. So this is Holy Week. And just for a moment, I want you to think about the events that have transpired throughout Holy Week. Perry has been posting our Holy Week series up on Facebook. Maybe you watched it, but let's just do a little review to give you some thought about where we are. Last Sunday, which was known as Palm Sunday, was when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a mounted on a donkey and the crowds praised him, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. On Monday, Jesus entered the temple, the most holy place of the Jewish people, and he began to overturn the temple tables because the temple priests were were doing dishonest things to the people. They turned the house of God, the Father's house, from a house of prayer into a den of thieves. On Tuesday of this week, Jesus went back into the temple and this time confronted the Jewish leaders of their rejection of him and ultimately of their rejection of God. And on Wednesday, we find Jesus in Simon the leper's home where he was anointed by Mary with very expensive perfume while Judas Iscariot set his heart to betray him. Both events setting the stage for Jesus' death and burial. On Thursday night, Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. They celebrated the Lord's Supper. And then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and and also for Jesus to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. The next few hours were like a blur. He goes from illegal Jewish trial to illegal Jewish trial before the Jewish leaders to Roman trials before Pilate, and then eventually before King Herod. At each spot, he is beaten, he is mocked, and he is whipped with the tools of the trade, which were meant for scourging and lashing a human victim. A leather belt with ends of metal balls was used on his back, and a crown of thorns was mockingly placed upon his head as they yelled, Hail, King of the Jews. All the while, the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders spat on him and sarcastically mocked him. At the end of it all, with the crowds crying, Crucify him, Pilate begrudgingly sent Jesus Christ off to a cross. That's where we are mid to late Friday, in Jerusalem. So tonight we're going to study from Luke's narrative of chapter 23 as we consider Jesus' death on the cross for us. So let's do like we normally do and stand. We're going to read a very short section of this narrative. Luke 23, verses 44 through 49. Luke 23, 44 through 49. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, which is fine. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, This man was innocent. 
And all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had gathered, who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray. Father, as we read the account of Jesus' death, help us for these moments to see ourselves back in first century, just outside of Jerusalem, watching these events take place. And I pray as we end our evening tonight that we would we would see that Jesus was there for us. So open our eyes to the truth and the wonder of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now here's what I hope we will see tonight is that Jesus Christ innocently and willingly gave Himself for people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. I mean, that's what Good Friday is about. You might wonder why in the world do we celebrate Good Friday, right? I mean, it's about Jesus innocently and willingly giving Himself for people like us from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I want to see three things in this text. I want to look at every nation. I want to see the innocent dying for the guilty. And I want to see forgiveness heaven and a willing sacrifice. Let's start by looking at every nation. And we're going to look really at the whole narrative of Luke 23. So we just read a small section of it just to get our our palate wet, if you will. Luke's telling of the gospel scene is really unusual. Because what most gospel writers do in things centered around Jerusalem and around the surrounding towns of Israel is they give us distinctly Jewish things. Jewish people, Jewish customs, Jewish practices, But Luke's narrative of the crucifixion scene is most definitely not Jewish. Just notice in your Bibles or notice on the screen what I'm talking about. Notice the list of people that are brought up in this text. Verse 26, you have Simon of Cyrene who carries the cross for Jesus after he's exhausted. Verse 27, you have a great multitude of people, including mourning people, mourning women, which usually were folks that they hired to mourn at a death. They just followed the victim and cried as they went. Verse 32, we're introduced to two criminals who were being executed alongside Jesus. Verse 36, we're told about Roman soldiers who mocked him, playing dice for his clothes, and who gave him sour wine to drink. And in verses 47 through 50, we're introduced to the Roman soldier, the centurion who oversaw the crucifixion, who believed in him. We're told about Jesus' acquaintances and these women who followed him, from Galilee, who stood at a distance and watched everything. And they were told about Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the ruling council who did not agree with putting Jesus to death. He was a secret disciple, and he he asked to take Jesus' body to his own tomb. There are a load of people listed in the text. In a really short span of time, and we have to ask why. Why does Luke do this? Luke was a very detailed writer. He was a physician. He was probably the best historian among the followers of Jesus, who detailed things in very chronological, accurate order. So you have to ask, why would Luke put so much emphasis on the people that are watching this crucifixion scene? And I think the first reason we can deduce is that this reveals to us the reality of Jesus' death. Luke is giving us factual evidence 
He's giving us witnesses to show us that Jesus actually died at this particular cross. We've got witnesses that are not just Jewish, but we've got Roman witnesses. We've got ruling class witnesses. We have followers of Jesus who are witnesses, and we have mockers of Jesus who are witnesses. See, some can say that Jesus is unimportant. Some can say that his death did not matter, but here's what people cannot say. They can't say he didn't die. The factual evidence plays a huge part of the story of Jesus. The witnesses revealing all of this. But there's a second reading and reason why I think Luke does this, and it actually plays into the theme of Luke's gospel. Jesus didn't just come to be the Savior and King of the Jewish people. He came to be the Savior and King of all people. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue. I mean, on Palm Sunday, last Sunday, when Jesus would have rode into Jerusalem riding on that donkey, the Jewish expectation was that this is the way their messianic king would come and establish his brand new kingdom, restoring Israel to prominence. They believed that he would come as the king in the greatest line, the line of David, and he would sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, their capital city forever. And they thought in that moment last Sunday that Jesus was it. But Jesus didn't just come to be the king of the Jews. He came to be the king of all. That's why Luke wrote his gospel. Matter of fact, you can flip back in your Bible sometime and notice that Luke wrote his gospel to a man named Theophilus, a Roman citizen, who was more than likely a member of the ruling class in Rome, to show this man that Jesus had come to save people from every nation like him, a Rome, a Roman citizen. Not just for people from Israel. So when you read the names of these people listed in Luke chapter 23, all these people are listed there at the crucifixion and the burial scene showing us something, that Jesus came to seek and to save people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. And that means that Jesus' crucifixion is for us. It's not just a Jewish moment. It is a Jewish moment. But it's not just a Jewish moment carry it out by Roman hands. This is a universal moment. It's a pivotal moment in all of human history where the God of the universe is reaching out to people from every nation all over the world. The reason you and I are here, because the gospel, the good news, the, the good news is that Jesus has come for people from every nation, not just the Jewish people. Innocent bystanders, wailing women, criminals who are destined for the execution chair, members of the social elite can all be recipients of what Jesus' cross provides. Jesus' life and death are for people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's what it means for us. But the second thing we have to ask, though, is how? How did Jesus save us from every nation, tribe, and tongue? And how did he become the king of all nations? Well, that's our second point I want to look at tonight, which is the innocent for the guilty. As we're going to see, Jesus saved people from every nation by dying in our place. He didn't deserve to die. But we have to ask, why did it happen this way? Why, why did God... As we read in Isaiah 53, why was it the Lord's will to crush him? 
Well, Luke shows us very clearly throughout the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, that Jesus died innocently. And he does it a lot. Notice how Luke does it in verse chapter 23, verse 4. He gives us the first scene before Pilate. He says, I find no fault in this man. The ruler in Rome, overseeing Jerusalem, said, I find no fault in this man. Another moment when Pilate declares in verses 13 through 16 that he also finds, again, I find no fault in this man. Verse 22, a third time, Pilate says, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving of death. Luke is making a statement to us. But he doesn't just stop with Pilate. He continues with one of the criminals. Verses 40 and 41 in this interaction with the criminals, one of the criminals recognizes that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And then you'll see the Roman centurion's response in verse 47. He prays God saying, certainly this man was innocent. See, throughout the Gospel of Luke, the narrative of Jesus' trial, crucifixion, and burial, there is a very clear declaration that Luke is trying to get across to us. Jesus was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. He was not the guilty party. He should not go to the cross, but it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So we have to ask, who's the guilty? If he's not the innocent, who is the guilty? And to understand that, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of time when God made Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God in that garden. Because they sinned, God said that they must die. Because the wages of sin is death. What Adam and Eve earned for us as our very first parents and first representatives before God was death because they sinned. And in Adam, we all sinned. But God showed Adam and Eve and us something amazing. Showed us grace. Showed us mercy. By revealing right at the Garden of Eden that death didn't have to be paid by the rebel or the sinner. As soon as God confronted Adam and Eve about their sin, He clothed them with the skin of an animal as a payment for their sin. God covered their sin with the death of an innocent sacrifice. And that became the basis, if you will, for what we see as the innocent dying for the guilty. And throughout Israel's history, God gave them what was called the sacrificial system, where one time a year the high priest would offer up an an innocent lamb to die for the sins of the people. The innocent would die for the guilty. But the point was still to be made. Death must be paid by someone to satisfy the law and the justice and the holiness and the righteousness of Almighty God. But God in His love and His mercy and His grace allowed for a substitute to die in the place of the sinner. The problem with Israel's sacrificial system was it was done every year. It was an annual reminder that they were still in their sins. Every year they were confronted with this fact. They're still in rebellion against God, and they're in need of a sacrifice to be done over and over and over again. And that sacrificial system was to point to a day when there would be a final sacrifice who would pay the penalty once for all time. So when Jesus comes on the scene... Some called him the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ had come to be the innocent sacrifice for us, the guilty. And He came to die in our place to be crowned as our King. Greg Gilbert put it like this. God declares Jesus to be triply crowned. With the crown of heaven as God's Son, the crown of Israel as the long-awaited King, and the crown of thorns as a suffering servant who would save His people by dying for them in their place. So what's going on in Luke chapter 23 is Luke is showing us powerfully that Jesus Christ died innocently for the guilty. That's how Jesus is the Savior King for all nations, the innocent dying for us, the guilty. But that leads us to our last point of the night, which is forgiveness, willingness, or heaven and a willing sacrifice. We're going to see how Jesus did this. The innocent dying for the guilty. Why did Jesus Christ set up a kingdom like this and become the king by dying on a cross? The innocent dying for the guilty. Why why not come in military power? That would be the way that Rome would do it. Why not just forcing us to bow down and worship him? Why, Why did he come like this? Well, Luke gives us three statements by Jesus on the cross that reveal to us why. And each of them show us forgiveness, heaven, and a willing sacrifice. You know, most crucified victims were pinned to a cross by three nails. We could say these three statements of Jesus were the three nails that held Jesus to the cross. We all know, being the Son of God, He could have taken those nails and pulled himself right off the cross pretty easily. He could have called down 10,000 legions of angels to come to assist him, but he didn't. These are the statements of why. These are the statements that held him to the cross. These are the statements that reveal why the innocent was willing to die for the guilty. Notice verse 34, he said, Jesus asked God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You're aware, right? Forgiveness is only needed for guilt. And these folks were guilty. They'd sent Jesus to the cross as an innocent man. But when you read Luke 23 and you hear, Father, forgive them, you should see the them as just an example of you. A rebel. If you and I were in that crowd, we'd be screaming right alongside them. Crucify him. Just like in Adam and Eve's case, when they represented us, these people represent us. Jesus' crucifixion is the way we receive forgiveness from God for our rebellion before God. The Bible makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus died on that cross so that it would be possible for God to forgive our sins forever. God made a way through Jesus' death that our sins no longer have to be counted against us anymore in our relationship with God. God has made a way through Jesus' death that our shame and our guilt can be wiped away forever. See, that's Jesus' heart toward us. It's Jesus' heart toward you. Father, 
Forgive them. Forgive that one. Forgive Dave. Forgive, forgive Robert. Forgive Jill. Forgive these folks. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' death is for our forgiveness. That, that's the first nail that held Jesus to the cross, that we might receive forgiveness of sin. But notice the second statement found in verse 43. Jesus said to the thief who believed in him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This thief had come to a conclusion. The conclusion was, Jesus was innocent, and this man was deserving of death. And he came to the conclusion, Jesus was innocent, dying for the guilty. He was dying for him. And he saw himself as the guilty party who deserved to die. But Jesus didn't deserve to die. But what's Jesus' promise to this man? Today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. You'll have eternal life. Today, the moment you breathe your last, only those who are forgiven by God, made right with God, can get into God's eternal home. And Jesus is saying that his death and the thief's belief brought the thief into eternal life. See, the way to eternal life to life with God forever is through this old wooden cross that we talk about every Sunday. The only way to paradise is through Jesus. The innocent dying for the guilty. See, many will say that all roads lead to God, but the truth is there's only one road that leads to a pleasant encounter with Him. And His name is Jesus. The second nail that held Him there was Jesus came to make a way for eternal life, for heaven. But then there's a third statement. Verse 46, when Jesus called out to God with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we're told that after that he breathed his last. Victims of crucifixion would normally die of exposure, loss of blood, or they would suffocate. But Jesus did not. When I was in Bible college, I was asked this question by our professor. We had a bunch of preacher boys in the room together, and our professor asked us, preacher boys, how did Jesus die? I raised my hand as the confident, arrogant young guy that I am, and I said, Jesus died from suffocation. And this man never stood up from his desk, and he slammed his hand on his desk. He said, preacher boy, never forget, Jesus willingly gave up his life. He did not suffocate. And don't you ever forget it. This text reveals to us, we better not ever forget it. Jesus was in control from beginning to end. He did not suffocate. He did not give in to exposure. He did not die of loss of blood. He voluntarily, willingly gave up his life. No man, no cross, no ruler can ever put the Son of God to death. Jesus willingly gave up his life as our ransom before God. And his willingness is what held him to the cross. Three statements. Forgiveness, heaven, and a willing sacrifice. Three nails that held Jesus to the cross. And the impact of these statements to us who believe in Christ is that we have forgiveness before God. The way of God has been opened to us. 
We're told in Luke narratives that Luke's narrative that the veil of the temple was torn in two, indicating access to God is now open through Jesus' death. He's the only one who can give us forgiveness of sin, the only one who can make us right with God, the only one who can guarantee us eternal life with God. And he did it willingly. And where that leaves us is two very, very clear choices. On the one hand, we can choose to trust in Jesus. We can choose to believe that this Savior is our Savior. We can choose to believe that His life and death are done for us. We're saying that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven by God. He's the only way to have eternal life. We're saying He's our substitute. We could be like Simon the Cyrene who picked up his cross and identified himself with Jesus by carrying it. We can be like the thief on the cross, believing in Jesus' innocence. We can be like Joseph of Arimathea, who courageously spoke out about following Jesus and wanted Jesus' body so he could bury it. Trusting in Jesus means this. It means it brings us forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, and the wonderful joy of this, that your Savior King is the only one who gave himself for you. Or on the other hand, we could choose to not believe in Jesus. A person who doesn't believe in Jesus, according to the Bible, is still in their sin against God. They're still in rebellion against God. And they only have a guarantee of eternal life, eternal death if they choose not to believe in Christ. They don't see that Jesus innocently died in their place, nor do they see that Jesus willingly gave his life for them. And if that's you, listen, you're, you're no different than the priests in the text, the rulers in the text, the soldiers in the text who arrogantly judged Jesus and sarcastically mocked him. R.H. Stein, I think, puts your predicament in line with the priest's predicament when he wrote this. The supreme irony is that the criminal rightfully being executed for his crimes, the thief, was infinitely better off than Israel's high priest who by his rejection of God's Son was eternally damned. Rejection of God's Son is done at your own peril. So you can choose to believe in His name and follow Him. Or you can choose to reject Him. But one thing you can't do is ignore Him. Let's pray. And as we're praying tonight, listen, if you, tonight, you say, man, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Meet meet one of us afterward. We'd love to talk with you about that. Father, we thank you that in your perfect justice and your perfect holiness, that you sent Jesus to die in our place the innocent for the guilty, so that, so that your, your justice would be fully satisfied. And we thank you that what it reveals to us is the grace of God on display, the mercy of God toward us sinners, and that all who put their faith in Christ have forgiveness of sin. We have a relationship with God. And we have eternal life. Father, thank you. 
Father, help each of us to put our trust in this Savior. That our hope of eternal life would not be found in our good works or our good abilities or our hard work, but our hope would be found in a Savior, Jesus, who lived perfectly in our place, who died to satisfy the law and the justice and the holiness of God so that we might be made right with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.